Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers. Boy, have we got a great show today. We are profiling not just one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, Uh but a filmmaker, a director, who is absolutely the greatest director who ever lived, (laughs) Akira Kurosawa. And when we get to the end of the show, you're going to see why that is a bold statement that is absolutely true. Because i got to tell you, I learned more doing this episode of Profiles than I did on every other, all 44 previous episodes of Profiles combined. That's right. I mean, we want you guys to think of this as your introduction to Akira Kurosawa. So don't worry if you haven't seen any of his movies. This is just going to let you know why each of his films that we've chosen is a classic, why they're so important and why he was so important. I mean, it's really hard to emphasize just how hugely influential a director he was. I mean, his career spanned from the Second World War right up to the early 90s. He delivered samurai epics as well as intimate dramas. And when you really look at the shot composition of every single one of his films and the camera techniques he pioneered, he that's the thing. Yeah. When you watch these movies, you might think, oh, yeah, I've seen that before, but that's because he started it. That's where, this is where it started. You're talking 30 films over 57 years, and more of his movies are considered masterpiece films, masterworks, brilliant films. Then, like, you look at a director like Scorsese, Spielberg, Coppola. Uh, well, yeah, definitely Scorsese, who was definitely influenced by Akira Kurosawa. Oh, yeah, he calls him but, his sensei. But there are so many films that are like, that's a masterpiece. Oh, wait, that, so is that. So yeah. is that. So is that. So many of them. And again, I mean, when you – we want to spread the word that this is the kind of a director that you absolutely have to go back and be like, wow. Uh, to just yes. – to the comparison, if you don't mind me saying so. Uh-huh. It is like listening to – to popular music your whole life and then discovering <laughs> the, Beatles. the Beatles. I knew you were going to yeah. say that. It's always a Beatles reference in here, but it's true. If you love movies, if you love Star Wars, then Kurosawa is where it started. I mean, watch, watch the hidden fortress. And that is exactly where George Lucas got his ideas for Star Wars. I mean, if you love Spielberg, he's influenced by Star Wars. And that's what we're doing today. We're going to play little grabs and little bits and pieces from some famous American directors who have been deeply influenced by Kurosawa, just to put it all in context. And as an example, take someone like Francis Ford Coppola. When Coppola was asked what was his favorite Akira Kurosawa film, his reply was, so many of Kurosawa's films are great. I mean, you could ask yourself, which are the great ones and which are the merely very, very excellent ones? (laughs) But he also, uh, you know, as for his own take on film, Kurosawa said, for me, filmmaking combines everything. That's the reason I've made cinema my life's work. In film, painting and literature, theater and music come together. But a film is still a film. And Martin Scorsese, which is why I'm wearing the Scorsese t-shirt today, says his influence on filmmakers throughout the entire world is so profound to be almost incomparable. And Federico Fellini said he's the greatest 
greatest living example of what an author of the cinema should be. An author of the cinema. I love that. But when you go back to watch some of these classic movies from the late 40s and 50s where he was like really at the peak of his of his power as a filmmaker – these films still hold up. Yeah. They are still relevant. They are still powerful. The They're stories. still incredible. The story, especially a couple of them we're going to talk about today. Wow. Wow. But so the question is, Leash, what was your first blood? Before we get to that. Yeah, he did have a wonderful he life. He had a very wonderful life. <laughs> so we should get into that with your introduction to Kurosawa's biography. Take it away. Akira Kurosawa was born on March 23rd, 1910 in the Amori district of Tokyo, Japan. His father, Osamu, was a former samurai and worked as the director of the Army's Physical Education Institute, while his mother, Shima, came from a merchant's family living in Osaka. In 1936, after a brief stint as a painter, Kurosawa entered the Japanese film industry where he worked as an assistant director and screenwriter. He made his directorial debut with 1943's Sanshiro Sugata, which was heavily edited after studio interference. Within a few years, he gained more creative freedom and broke through with 1948's Drunken Angel, which marked the first of Kurosawa's 16 collaborations with the great Toshiro Mifune. But it was 1950's landmark film Rashomon that earned Kurosawa worldwide acclaim. It won the Golden Line at the Venice Film Festival and was a critical and commercial success and introduced the richness of Japanese cinema to the West. Over the next decade, Kurosawa knocked out one masterwork after another, starting with 1952's Touching Akiru and 1954's Epic Seven Samurai and 1957's Shakespearean adaptation, Throne of Blood. Akira Kurosawa is widely hailed as the greatest director who ever lived. He was nominated for an Oscar for Best Director for 1985's Rand. And in 1990, he was honored by the Academy for cinematic accomplishments that have inspired, delighted, enriched, and entertained worldwide audiences and influenced filmmakers throughout the world. Kurosawa died on September 6, 1998, at the age of 88. Wow. Wow. What a life. I know. What, how many movies he did. It was incredible. Yeah, First Blood. That's uh, that's an interesting one. So I remember being in year 12, which is our last year of school in Australia, and we got to do film as an elective. And I opened up my textbook and I saw these black and white photos of samurais and bandits on horses and violence. And it was a breakdown of the editing used in Seven Samurai, which was, of course, edited also by Kurosawa. Definitely. And it was a breakdown of the final battle scene. So you can definitely go online and you can get into all that if, if you're interested in editing and exactly why that scene is so important. But we learned a bit about that. We watched little clips and then I went and sought out Seven Samurai myself uh, just to watch, you know, in my own time uh, as a teenager. And I thought I would be bored by it, you know. Yeah. I thought this is a long movie Three and, a half hours. and it's about samurais and it's a period piece and how am I going to relate to this and I was transfixed to the screen what about you? Well Seven Samurai is my first blood as well I saw it at the New Beverly Cinema one of our favorite theaters here in Los Angeles in 1992 it was about a year after I moved out here and you know I'd heard so much about this movie so much about Kurosawa and I just thought oh well here's a chance to see it on the big screen yeah great and, I've never know, seen it on the big screen but but the, the print they had was actually very old and it kept like they had, kept having to stop it but yeah, that was actually part of its charm was to see an old <laughs> print like Crackly. that yeah it was but 
uh, seeing all of the signature shots in that film just made me go, oh, that's where that came from. That's where this movie came from. Yeah. All this movie's just like that movie. The Magnificent movie. Seven. Yeah, The Magnificent yeah. Seven. And of course, in the years that followed when I first saw it, so then like Usual Suspects comes out yeah. and Ocean's Eleven and even Fast Five. Yeah. You know, all these movies influenced by Seven Samurai, but it is just so... Uh, it was a definitely definitely a, a mind blowing thing to witness, and you're right. Three and a half hours it flew by. Yeah. But there were so many other films that I hadn't seen until much much more recently, like Number Five on our Fast Five. And to introduce the film, we have none other than Mr. Steven Spielberg talking about Kurosawa. Anyone who has something to say, who can work their art into our lives, and impress us forever with imagery and story, and wonderment. These are the people that we learn from. And Akira Kurosawa, I have learned more from him than almost any filmmaker on the face of the earth. Wow. wow. So fast five, number five, we have chosen Yojimbo. Yojimbo, which means bodyguard. bodyguard. Released in Japan on April 25th, 1961. One Oscar nomination for costume design. A lot of his films nominated uh, in some way or another for art direction, costume design, set design, and... Uh, Toshiro Mifune. Oh, Toshiro Mifune. He's like the Eastwood <laughs> He's incredible. Of, of Akira Kurosawa. Amazing. He plays a ronin, which is a masterless samurai. Com- two competing crime lords yep. vie for him to be their bodyguard. Yeah. So he like sort of plays them against each other in an effort to sort of free the peasants in this, in this, in this little village. Mm-hmm. But Toshiro Mifune is like, Oh my God! That's where that's where Eastwood, the man with no name, Sergio Leone. I mean, yep. he's done as a fistful of dollars. Yeah, you see where? Oh my God! It, it, it's a samurai movie, but it's a western. <laughs> it's a samurai western gangster movie, and this was remade into Fistful of Dollars by Sergio Leone, a, a man with no name. I mean, Toshiro Mifune's character, when he's asked his name, he sees a mulberry bush, and that's what he calls himself. Yeah. So he is a man with no name. There's, you know, the hand underneath the kimono, like Eastwood had the hand underneath the poncho. I mean, there's so much when you watch this film that you're like, oh, I get it, I get it. And this movie is brutal. It is funny. It's beautiful. It's funny. It's more humor than a lot of his other films. It's brilliant as well. And this kicked off the whole genre of spaghetti westerns. Definitely. Especially when you get to the last scene. The, the gunfight, so to speak, the sword fight, that where they're standing in the middle of the road. Yeah. I mean, you're watching, watch a movie like High Noon or Gunfight yeah, at the OK Corral. I expected Corral. the tumbleweed to come yeah, across. totally. Yeah. It's dusty. It's windy. And, um, and I love the way it's shot. It's just shot very, very plainly, very simply, but it means a lot. But this was 1961. And even by today's standards, the setup of these shots, the background, the cinematography, yep. it's still, still very, very impressive. Uh, Daily Variety at the time said, rousing, good story, told with vigor and visual excitement by Akira Kurosawa, splendidly acted by Toshiro Mifune. This has ideal remake material for the U.S. <laughs> audience. <laughs> well, Toshiro Mifune was so strong. He had this great physical presence, especially compared to the other characters who are quite heightened. He's often shot alone by himself in in the frame because to show that he is a loner compared to the crowds that 
are in all the other shots and there's a lot of shots looking straight up and down either side of the street to show how simple this battle was. Pauline Kael described uh, Toshiro's character as the bodyguard who kills the bodies he's hired to guard. I mean, he's a cheeky character, isn't he? And, you know, he's so cheeky, he's up so, trouble. so unforgettable that even John Belushi <laughs> was inspired by Toshiro Mifune. <laughs> yeah. Remember back in the 70s when he had a samurai on SNL? Yeah. He based a samurai on Toshiro Mifune. <laughs> I love that. And Roger Ebert said, shutters, sliding doors, and foreground objects bring events into view and then obscure them and give the sense of a town, the town as a collection of fearful eyes granted an uncertain view of certain danger. Well, a lot of our profilers actually did see a bunch of Kurosawa's Yay. movies, starting with Nikolai Quack, who said, Kurosawa made so many great films, yet I still consider Yojimbo his best and, in my opinion, his most entertaining film. May not have as many profound themes as Seven Samurai or Ren, but the cinematography is fantastic and is in any Kurosawa film as the acting is stellar, especially from Tiroshiro Mifune, who showed Clint Eastwood how to be the badass he became as the man with no name. Although A Fistful of Dollars is considered a classic, Yojimbo has much better pacing, more epic fights, and a better villain than Leon's unofficial remake. Yet all the cynicism, mysterious characters, and the brilliant samurai fights inspired Sergio Leone to make one of the coolest movie trilogies of all time. And if that doesn't make this film awesome, I don't know what does. Hashtag Film Geek. Hashtag Profiler for Life. Joshua Price on YouTube points out the interesting fact that I thought of when I watched this as well, that it's ironic because Kurosawa was inspired by classic westerns to make Yojimbo, but then his film ended up inspiring spaghetti westerns back in the West. And there were, there were a couple of films on this list that did that, where he was inspired by films from the West, makes a movie, and then Then they they continue to inspire other films in the West. Morgan Robinson says, While Seven Samurai is probably Kurosawa's most well-known and influential film, I'd have to say my favorite film of his is Yojimbo. This is the finest performance that the ever-brilliant Toshiro Mifune gives in any Kurosawa film I've ever seen. His character is the epitome of the lone wolf, so cool, calm, collected, yet incredibly intense, and acts like an absolute boss. Of course, this influenced the great Sergio Leone, who'd definitely be profiled too, enough to remake it as a fistful of dollars for Western audiences. It has countless other influences, especially in terms of westerns. I can't help feeling Clint Eastwood took a lot from Mifune's acting and Yojimbo to create <laughs> yeah. his man with no name. It also spawned a somewhat sequel with Sanjuro, also another top quality film. And as far as I'm concerned, Akira Kusawa has never been more entertaining and impressive to watch. The best foreign director of all time. Hashtag film geek. Hashtag, hashtag profiler for, for life. life. So many great scenes. It was really tough to choose the right stuff. Especially since we just watched a lot of these movies so recently. So what is your right stuff for Akira Kurosawa? My right stuff comes from Ran. Okay. And it is a moment that is just a stark image that I can't get out of my head. And that is where the old man comes down the stairs after the castle is on fire. And you just you oh, see the, yeah. him looking distressed and distraught and going crazy, coming down the stairs, everyone watching him as he walks away and the castle on fire behind him. It's just such a great image and his use of color in that movie, which and we'll talk about is just amazing. Yeah, yeah we'll get, we'll get to that. But yeah, that scene was just like, just everything was sort of happening around him. Yeah. You know, my right stuff came while I was watching Ikaru. Yeah. Which means to live. It's and so I think touching. Of, of all his films that, that I've seen now, uh, this was the one that moved me to the core 
emotionally and was really just so devastating. And the scene in particular was when Mr. Watanabe, played by Takashi Shimura, who made 21 movies with Akira Kurosawa, when he's telling the girl that he, he, he wishes that, you know, he's playing, he's dying of stomach cancer. Yeah. He has six months left to live. And he has been a slave to his job, a slave to life instead of living his life. And here's this girl who is living her life and so full of life. And he's like so desperate telling her, I want to live like you do. I have just a few moments left. Yeah. I want what you have. And he it was so sad and so heartbreaking and so devastating. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it was seeing that, I mean, uh, because it was contemporary. I know. I related to it. And then the happy birthday song, which is his birth, his rebirth. Yes. So oh. you hear them singing happy birthday in the background, and that is him being reborn and starting again. Well, we'll have a I lot love. to say about that movie when we get to it. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Our which is? five, number four, let's listen to Martin Scorsese talking about this next movie. could imagine the shock of that level of mastery. Now, I still feel that shock, that wonder when I look at those pictures again today at Ikaru which was the first film I saw by Kurosawa. Wow, Ikaru. Scorsese's first blood. Yes, wow, Scorsese's first blood. There you go. I was waiting for him to say, yeah, that was my first blood. Yeah. Uh, Japan release was October 9th, 1952. Won the special prize at the 1954 Berlin Film Festival. Won the Silver Bear. And listen, uh, Mr. Watanabe, uh, Takashi Shimura, he plays like this, like, desk-bound bureaucrat Mm -hmm. who is just, you know, a slave. He's a cog in a wheel, has not lived his life. He's also not been a very good father which is devastating in its own right and he suddenly discovers the meaning of life or tries to discover it with the time he has left the movie takes a very very sharp turn i don't want to spoil it yeah but for the first two-thirds of the movie he's the protagonist it's mm-hmm. his story some flashbacks but then something happens two-thirds of the way through the movie takes on a different perspective becomes something different and it, it it elevates the movie to a, another level. And dare I say it, the last third of this film, again, watch the movie and you'll see what I mean when it becomes just like It's a Wonderful Life it's and wonderful Citizen life. Kane. It's a Wonderful Life I kept thinking of when I was watching this. And it is such a touching story. It's all about loneliness and as well as hope and life as well as death. This is Steven Spielberg's favorite Kurosawa film. And it's easy to see why. I mean, watching it, I just felt like... Like, okay, this is so relatable because we all wonder, what does our life truly mean? Are we enjoying our life as much as we should? What, what would, would we do, do if we didn't if have six much? Months left to live? Yeah, if we only had six months left to live, what would I do? I'd probably go traveling, which I'd do I'd anyway. Travel, yeah. But I would just try and travel and, and see more of the world and try and meet more people if I was in good enough health to do so. But then you also wonder, like, what kind of legacy will you leave behind? How will people see you once you're gone? And yeah, there's just so many themes in this film. And so many great images. There's, you know, Watanabe on the swing, which is just such a beautiful and stark image. Um, and it's just such an interesting structure, as you said. And Akira once wrote, sometimes I think of my death, I think of ceasing to be, and it is from these thoughts that Akira came. Well, it's easy to see why Spielberg loves the movie so much. Because Spielberg is obviously, as we know, a director who's very, very in touch with his feelings. Yeah. So many of his movies are just some of the most emotional films ever made. And so is this one. Yeah. So it's easy to see where he gets his inspiration from. And, uh, you know, definitely like you thought of a, It's a Wonderful Life. Of course, naturally, I thought of Citizen Kane because it's just like <laughs> embedded. But just like the flashbacks with his son when he kept saying, Matsuo, 
but Suo, and you see him like playing ball as a kid. He's so proud that he screws up, and it's like shame. I mean, shame as like a father, but it really does make you think like, like, am I living life to the fullest? And, yeah. And you know, you should be. Everyone should be. Roger Ebert, who wrote in 1996 something very profound, because we know what happened to Roger Ebert later. You know, not even ten years after that, when he got. Th- uh, Cancer, uh, over the years, I have seen Ikaru every five years or so, and each time it moved me and made me think, the older I get, the less Watanabe seems like a pathetic old man, and the more he seems like every one of us. Mm, I know, and Ebert also wrote an, an essay on the film in college when he first saw it, uh, based on the statement, you know, from Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. And the LA Times critic Kevin Thomas also said, Ikiru is a very deeply affecting study of life, a death, a final desperate attempt to bring meaning to both of them. It must be put into that small category of film masterpieces. I it definitely, definitely is. agree with that. I mean, more viewing than, than a lot of films I've seen recently today. And uh, again, a lot of profilers, big Kira Kurosawa fans, Yay. including our friend Liam Logrand, Yay. who says Ikaru is a mesmerizing examination on the importance of living a fulfilling life. With the perfect combination of Kurosawa's beautiful direction and Takashi Shimura's excellent performance, and it is an excellent performance. Oh, yeah. So great. It is a layered and symbolic depiction of perception on death that hasn't been replicated over 60 years later. Seeing a protagonist in such a vulnerable state, yet hopeful at the same time, makes this masterpiece, underline the word masterpiece there, pal, a mm-hmm. satisfying and unforgettable experience. Oh, for sure. And, of course, there's so much great trivia that goes along with such a long career. Hit me up, Lee. So, our last detail. Did you know that Kurosawa always wanted to make a Godzilla film, but the executives at Toho, the studio which produced the Godzilla films, wouldn't let him because they thought it would, would cost, cost too much. much. Yes! Wow! <laughs> I would have loved to see a Kurosawa Godzilla. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, he, he did... Uh what movie he did he do in 1954? I mean, he was doing Seven Samurai yep. the same year that Toho was doing Godzilla. And it went so over budget that so them. long that, yeah, that they were worried. Up to the studio. They were like, well, we can't let you know. Um, well, uh, let's see, December 1971, I did not know this. He tried to kill himself. Yeah. He tried to slash his wrist 30 times. Good thing Ugh. he didn't succeed. And, uh, he was just going through a really hard time, mental fatigue. His recent films weren't doing very well. But he bounced back big time. Yeah, poor thing. Well, he was an absolute perfectionist. Once he asked for a roof to be changed on a house that would be seen just in a quick shot from a train. Because he was like, that doesn't look right. I want to change. So they changed someone's house just for that. You know who probably was influenced by that level of detail? What, Fincher? David oh. Fincher. Yeah, they're going to say Fincher. Fincher. That's just the first five of the day. <laughs> and also he asked his actors to wear their period costumes for several weeks before shooting so that they had that lived-in look. That's also good because you're natu- you know how to naturally yeah, move around Yeah, it feels like it. yours. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, obviously we know that George Lucas was very, 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 very much inspired by Akira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. So much to the point that after Star Wars opened in 1977, Lucas helped Kurosawa get his 1980 film, Kajimusha made. I mean, this was uh, Fox didn't want to do the film, and Lucas went to Fox. And now he had a lot, lot of leverage. Oh, and yeah. said, "I need you to make this movie. Uh-huh. I need you to make this movie." And he brought in his good friend Francis Ford Coppola to co-produce the film. Oh, that's great. Well, speaking of Star Wars and Lucas, Lucas uh, originally offered the roles of 
Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader to Toshiro Mifune. Oh, man, that would have been so cool. I know. (laughs) So, so cool. All right, well, let's keep things going with our Fast Five number three, and we're going to hear from the great director, Sidney Lumet. For me, Kurosawa is the Beethoven of movie directors. We're changed by great work. So you see, Ron, because you're exposed to something that's as good as a movie can get, in my view. Wow, Ron. Ron. Hearing from the late, great Sidney Lumet talking about the late, great Akira Kurosawa. I know, and oh. Lumet actually said during that interview, he was like, I wouldn't presume to say that I've been influenced by Kurosawa because there was no way that I ever watched his movies thinking I could do that. Wow. Amazing. Mm. But he came close because he had a pretty great career in his own <laughs> oh, right that yeah. we should profile. Ron means chaos, rebellion, revolt. Came out in Japan on June 1st, 1985. Four Oscar nominations, including art direction, cinematography, and Akira Kawasawa's first for best director. One Oscar win for costume design. Loosely based on Shakespeare's King Lear, cost $12 million to make, which at the time was the most expensive film ever made in mm-hmm. Japan. It's also based on a parable about a Japanese warlord who was famous having three sons, all very talented, and Kurosawa wondered what would happen if they went bad. This was also the final film in Kurosawa's third period, as they call it, between 65 and 85. Like we were just saying, that was a really tough personal time for him. He also found it incredibly difficult to get his films financed, so the financing for this film came from a French producer. This is one of the greatest war films ever made. And as I was saying before with My Right Stuff, the imagery and the colours are just amazing. Yeah, it's gorgeous. He was working on this for about 10 years and he started storyboarding by paintings. So every single shot looks like a painting. And at the time, he his eyesight was not good at all. But He had his assistant or something help him out, Yeah, right? help yeah. him look, look at the storyboards with the paintings and make it look like that in the shot. And the way it's shot, I mean, it's all long shots. There's only, I think, one close-up and that's it. Well, this was a this was a movie there with the allegory for this film. One of the allegories that Akira Kurosawa was trying to go for was nihilism, which is a lack of belief in meaningful aspects of life. And he even said, what I was trying to get get at in Ron was that God or gods or whoever it is observing human events is feeling sadness without about how human beings destroy each other and how powerless humans are to affect their own behavior. And he also did it as a metaphor for nuclear warfare, saying mm. for all of our advances in technology, all we've done is figure out more efficient ways to kill each other. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's a, it's a bleak vision because so many of his other films are filled with hope or they're rousing or they're life-affirming in one way or another. This is really bleak. It's really dark and yeah. interesting because a lot of people say that there are similarities between the protagonist of this old ailing warlord and Kurosawa himself. Yeah. And that he saw a lot of himself in that character, just trying to figure out what everything means. There was 1,400 handmade costumes in this film. Incredible color and details. And the score is cool as well. The score is awesome. I love there's one moment with big battle scene in the middle. Yep. And you do not hear any sound effects from the actual battle. All you hear is the score. And it makes it so powerful, this silent battle. And, you know, the epic battle scenes, you know, I'm thinking, well, this is 10 years before a movie like Braveheart. Yeah. You know, where it's Kurosawa, again, like you said, it's the last great movie during the third period of his filmmaking, and the technical prowess is incredible. 200 horses were used, but I'm wondering <laughs> if, like, the bleakness 
of this movie, not just because it was inspired by King Lear, had to do with the fact that his wife, Yoko, had passed away. They were married 39 years. She yeah. passed away while they were filming. And he only stopped film production for one day to mourn. Wow. One day. And he just kept on and going. kept on going. So, But Roger Ebert, yes. uh, talking about the movie when it came out in 85, said it's a great, glorious achievement. Akira Kurosawa must have associated himself with the old lord, like mm-hmm. you just said, as he tried to put this film together. But in the end, he has triumphed. Well, our profiler Bertrand Charlene says Ran is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen, if if not the most beautiful. It is a painting coming to life, a tale of fate and death in which each frame is perfection. Seven Samurai is probably Kurosawa's greatest film, but Ran is my favorite. Its visual poetry is unparalleled. This was actually a tough fast five to come up with. Yeah. Someone actually said you should you should make it seven and call it Seven Samurai. Oh yeah. That would have been a great idea. Yeah, we could have done that because there's so many great films. And if we had done that, maybe one of these movies would have been on the list. Probably. We already talked about The Hidden Fortress in the, you know, so now in The Others, we're going to talk about it again. Yeah. came out in 1958. Uh, Lord by Gold, two greedy peasants escort a man and a woman across enemy lines. They don't realize they're a princess and a general. Mm. Mm, a princess, a general, like? two peasants that kind of resemble R2-D2 and C-3PO. Exactly. And the Swipes in this movie, you know, when you watch the original Star Wars trilogy, Lucas definitely got the swipe effect from Kurosawa's films, especially this one. Uh, This was definitely a movie that uh, was not just an inspiration for Lucas, but a lot of filmmakers and a lot of humor in this film, Mm -hmm. but it's still epic in its own way. What else is on your others list? On my others list, High and Low from 1963. It's based on the crime novel King's Ransom by Ed McBain. It's a film noir movie. It's a very tense procedural drama about the kidnapping of a successful businessman's son. Very entertaining. I saw when I asked people on Twitter what their favorite Kurosawa movie was, well, that one this. was mentioned a lot, yeah. high and low. Well, another one of mine is one of, not, not his first movie, but definitely the one that broke him through. Uh, it was his breakthrough movie, 1948's Drunken Angel, the first movie he did with Tashiro Mifune, and it was it was the first major film work that he had done where he had complete creative fee- freedom over his over his vision. Yeah, and uh, it's basically a drunken doctor trying to save a violent gangster from tuberculosis, and they become very close along the way. Uh, Tashiro Mifune plays the gangster, and Takashi Shimura. Two of his muses, yeah, his favorite. Well, favorite actors working together. Uh, Takesha plays the doctor, Toshiro the gangster. What else is on your list? Throne of Blood, yep. of course, from 1954. This is Kurosawa's Macbeth, another blend of East and West, starring, of course, Toshiro Mifune. The adaptation takes a play from Scotland into medieval Japan, and a lot of influences from Japanese no theater. They're the ones with the masks. Yep. Amazing, stark. Well, what came, what, our brackets were a little different this week, weren't they? Yeah, our brackets, usually we have it on Facebook, on Profiles with Malone and Mads, our Facebook page, and our profilers will vote on their favorite characters or their favorite films from that person. There wasn't that many people who had seen, enough people to have seen all these movies. So this week, what they did, our lovely profilers, Rachel J. Cushing, Liam Logrand, and Rasika, and I can never say your last name, <laughs> Rasika W. Rasika, it's like Madonna. We know Rasika. Yeah, we know Rasika. <laughs> put together a poll of 15 of his films. So the results were the favorite movies of our profilers. In third place, Rashomon. Mm-hmm. In second place, Yojimbo. 
And in first place, Seven Samurai. Seven baby. Samurai. Yes. So thanks to everyone who took part in that. And we're hoping that this episode, for people who haven't seen Akira's films, can be your gateway into it, make it a little bit more accessible. Because I know it can seem daunting, these prospects of these foreign films that are very long and black and white. But also, one of the things that we love to do, one of the things that we love, I know that it, it just gives us such a great pleasure when people tweet us or Facebook oh, us I or love that. send us direct messages saying, I didn't know about this filmmaker. I didn't know about this film. So I watched profiles and I went back and I watched the movie. And my God, it's so great. Like so, Clute the other day. Clute was great. That was so I, awesome. I loved, I got a great tweet saying they watched Clute after our Jane Fonda episode. And now they will never look at President Snow from Hunger Games <laughs> in the same way. And I love that because you see these old movies and you're like, oh, Dalton Sutherland back then. I only know him as President Snow now. And you get a whole new perspective on it. Well, an episode like this was just as much of an education for us as it is oh, for everyone yeah. else. I learned so much. I put so much in context. Oh, my gosh. It's it was crazy. Great. Yeah, it was really great. And that's why we want to keep profiles going. So please make sure you go to iTunes. Yes. This is where we just take care of business for a second. <laughs> make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe to Profiles. Rate and review us on iTunes. We need those ratings and reviews. Make sure you go to YouTube.com backslash Popcorn Talk Network. Subscribe to uh, Popcorn Talk Network. And make sure you share profiles with yes. other film fans so they can can learn all about Kara Kurosawa as well. Yeah, it's like a little film school. Make sure you go to our Facebook page, which is Profiles with Malone and Mance, and right as we gear up for a brand new episode, the Facebook page just becomes a lot of fun with profilers joining in on like what they love about these movies, what their favorites are, what their favorite characters are. You can tell us who you think we should profile, and mm-hmm. make sure, of course, you follow us on Twitter. Here we go. At Alicia Malone. Yeah. At Movie Mance. Yeah. At Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. Oh, and the pause. Back the pause. Yes, and moving on. Moving on. So, our fast five number two to introduce this one, we have the great Robert Altman. (laughs) I found them online. I don't think we'd seen anything quite like this. It certainly changed my perception about what is possible. In film. Oh my God! Wait, <laughs> like, this is so great. This is so awesome. Hearing these directors talk about the great director. I know another great one, Robert Altman, who uh, we, we so have to profile. You have to, yep. So you have to go online and search for Robert Altman. Rashomon, which is our number two in our Fast Five, yes. because then you will see him talking about it at length, and it's so interesting. You know what? Now that I think about it, Rashomon must have been such a huge influence on his style with the multi-characters. Yeah. You know, that he did in Nashville and definitely in yep. other films like Shortcuts. And he said that because Rashomon was the first movie where the film camera was pointed at, at the, the sun. sun. He said the next day after he saw that, he went outside and, and he, he pointed that. it to this TV show that he was doing. And he's like, yeah. Oh, that's very, very cool. <laughs> Japanese release for Rashomon was August 25th, 1950. But this was a watershed moment in Japanese film oh, because yeah. it was the first Akira Kurosawa movie to break out and be seen around the world and introduce the world to the richness 
of Japanese cinema. Yep. I mean, it was an, one Oscar nomination for Best Art and Set Direction, but it was also given an honorary Oscar for Most Outstanding Foreign Language Film released in the United States in 1951. And a lot of people speculate that the reason that the Academy came up with the Best Foreign Language Film was because of Rashomon. And this is my favorite, this is Kurosawa. Your favorite. Okay. Yes, I, I love this movie because it's so interesting. It's got such an intriguing story. This was the first time this plot device was used where the uh, the truth that the characters are saying and what you see on screen isn't necessarily the truth. Or I maybe mean, it's their truth. Maybe it's their truth. Before that, most often in films, what you saw was what actually happened. And I love that it plays with that idea of, okay, you don't don't trust what you see, don't trust what you hear. And you are like the the interrogator asking, this is, Altman says this as well, you're like the interrogator as the audience going, what happened? Tell me what happened. Four different stories, which one is right, all involving a murder. You got the bandit, the yep. samurai, the wife, and the woodcutter. Yep. And think of all the films that were inspired by this Usual film. Suspects. Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects, obviously the most famous <laughs> yeah. of them all. But you also have, uh, uh, you know, uh, again, uh, if I could just say an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called <laughs> A matter of perspective, yeah. but this was so groundbreaking and influential. And and people after this film, many years later, started using the words the Rashomon effect to describe mm-hmm. uh, the ways in which a single event can be interpreted from multiple and equally plausible angles. Yeah, you don't know who's telling the truth. You, it's, you sort of up to you to make your your own judgment. The movie's only ninety minutes long, which was definitely the sh- one of his shortest movies, mm-hmm. uh, especially when compared to. Uh, to Seven Samurai, which is, <laughs> which is his longest, um, and a lot of a lot of critics at the time were like, "Oh, Kurosawa was influenced by Citizen Kane," mm-hmm. but the fact is. He didn't see Citizen Kane until many years after Rashomon came out. Yeah, that's so interesting. So interesting. Well, the Criterion Collection, which this is definitely part of, yep. said that this um, revolutionized film language, this movie, and it also introduced Toshiro Mifune to the world when Rashomon was introduced to the to the West. I mean, they already knew him in Japan, but to the West he was new talent. And Kurosawa said, human beings are unable to be honest with themselves about themselves they cannot talk about themselves without embellishing. So that's why he wanted to explore this subject matter. And for his film series, Great Movies, Roger Ebert said, yeah. the film's engine is our faith that we will set, get to the bottom of things. But if one eyewitness who is giving testimony to the other three doesn't understand, why should we? No, no. And that's where you just go, okay, we'll figure this out, but you know what? Maybe we won't. Yeah, so and at the end you're still like, I don't quite know what happened. I love that. That's what has always fascinated me. It means I can watch it time and time again. You can always get something new out of it. Roger Ebert was also really surprised by the elevated acting when he first saw it because he had never seen anything like that before because right. a lot of these characters in Kurosawa films are heightened versions. They're caricatures. They're laughing. Ha, 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 ha. They're crying. Yep. They're so over the top, but it's because Kurosawa was inspired by silent films. So he wanted to make movies where you can tell the emotion of a character looking at them straight away. Right. Just show me. Don't tell me. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Well, Rachel Cushing, who's like an honorary profiler at this point, uh, she said, after seeing Rashomon the first time, I couldn't help but wish that I could go back in time and experience it with the rest of the world in 1950. As gorgeously shot and thematically provocative as it was for me, it was downright revolutionary for its time by recounting a terrible 
incredible story about a rape and murder four times by four different witnesses, each with his own motivations to tell the story differently. Kurosawa introduced a level of moral ambiguity into the movie that makes the viewer become as suspicious as the characters in in The Broken Down Temple. In many ways, it is a bleak meditation on the selfishness of human nature, but what makes it truly groundbreaking is that Kurosawa doesn't condemn the characters for their lies. He Instead, he allows the viewers to make up his or her own minds. As he slowly peels back the layers to get to what really happened, we learn that the truth is what we make of it, and in the end, the woodcutter, despite his lies, proves that maybe humanity isn't so far gone after all. I love that. Billy Polahan says, Rashomon was a film I first saw in film class, and I was told it was important for many reasons. The points of view for the different characters and trying to construct the story of a man who kills a samurai and rapes his wife is really fascinating. The most important part is the audience never sees the judge who they're telling the stories to, that the audience themselves are the ones who can interpret what really happened. It has a fantastic cast, story, and cinematography, and all of that made me fall in love with Akira Kurosawa. Hashtag film geek, hashtag profile, profile for, for life. life. And, and finally, we to get to number one in our who, fast five. Who are we going to hear from? To introduce this one, we have Oliver Stone. Oh, <laughs> wow. What was striking in the 1950s was how different he was from the, the American action directors that I so admired. <laughs> What were the themes that I really remembered? And the Seven Samurai was the underdog. Yeah, you rock. Give it up. <laughs> you like that? Was, because I'm, I got to tell you, I was thinking. You know, we always have these like up sounds when we introduce the film, but I guess we're just going to hear some some, some foreign language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, how is she going to do this? But that was a brilliant, brilliant move. Yes, Seven Samurai. Wow, Oliver Stone. This was great. This is what Profiles is all about. Oh yeah, this is it. So, Dama Arigato, Ishimon. <laughs> Japanese release was April 26, 1954. Two Oscar nominations: Best Art and Set Direction. Cost costume design as well. Well deserved. Uh, it won the Silver Lion Award at the 1954 Venice Film Festival. A soaring epic, a masterwork, and a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. And every sense of the word, I can't come up with enough adjectives to describe the greatness <laughs> of this movie. Hugely influential. It's one of the most remade and referenced movies in cinema. Remade, of course, is the American Western, The Magnificent Seven, which itself is getting another remake yes, coming soon. Washington. Just proves how timeless this story really is. is. As Oliver Stone said, it is an underdog story. This was such a great mixture of East and West cinema, of blockbuster and foreign film of action and character and seven great distinct characters incredible battle scenes a compelling story and it really gets emotional particularly towards the end definitely in the editing the camera movements they're all there all perfectly thought about and shot and framed and everything to really highlight the action it is a violent movie but it doesn't glamorize violence and that the characters are still fully defined yeah Toshiro Mifune is great he's the best he's the best (laughs) but so crazy you know this is a movie that many regard as the first true action modern action movie of all time and 207 minutes it's Akira Kurosawa's longest movie a watershed moment not just in Japanese cinema, but in cinema period. So influential, like you said, Magnificent Seven, but also films like Ocean's Eleven, Fast Five. Well, it's the first film to have a team assembled to yeah, carry out recruit. a mission. Right. It's like they're so recruiting. Everything came from that. Wait, wait. It was the Avengers of its day. <laughs> oh! 
Oh, just bring it a current. Duh, gotta wow. make it all about the comic book movies. But even in Glorious Bastards. No yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right>. Even in <laughs> Glorious Bastards. Yes. And oh, for sure. I mean, A Bug's Life. I had to Pixar. think of Tarantino a lot when yes. rewatching Kurosawa's films. When well, watching like, Yojimbo, when rewatching Seven Samurai. It is all Kill Bill. It's, it's watching, exactly. I mean, uh, Reservoir Dogs is Rashomon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so, all, so many of his other films are Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. For I sure. Mean, so, so amazing. And it's of course, incredible. Glorious Bastards. Uh, and, uh, you know, Time Magazine said again and again, Akira Kurosawa sends a dark thrill through his audience with a touch of sensuous physical reality. Brevard filmmaking at its finest. Well, we've got a profiler, oh, Ryan McKenna, who said, I adored Seven Samurai, one of my favorite classic films. It really captures a lot about the medium of storytelling, and Kurosawa is the master. It is brilliant in its Criterion Collection form, and I don't know if there's any other film in that esteemed collection that is more deserving of the honor. The best thing about Seven Samurai, though, is its legacy. It has influenced many great films, including fan favorites like Star Wars. Often, Lucas will cite Seven Samurai with Star Wars, and it is one of the movies Steven Spielberg has said he watches every time he is preparing to direct a new movie. There is truly no higher praise that can go to this film. Amazing. And Philip Hunt ending things off for this episode of Profiles on Kira Kurosawa says, Seven Samurai is my 12th favorite film of all time. I wonder what his first 11 are. Uh, <laughs> this is a staple of the adventure film genre and the acting is impressive for an adventure film. The camera techniques greatly shape the way the film's tone and aids the storytelling and furthers the plot. The film is perfect in every way, uh, has influenced some of the best, like Spielberg, Scorsese, and Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Seven Samurai is Akira Kurosawa's best movie and will be talked about for centuries. I love profiles, I love movies, and I love you guys. Hashtag Film Geek, hashtag Profiler for Life. And people watching on YouTube pointed out Bugs Life. It also Bugs influenced Life, yeah. Bugs Life. I mean, hopefully that'll give you just a little introduction to Akira Kurosawa. I really urge you guys to go and watch these movies. We could go so in-depth with these films because there's so much to them, but we didn't want to spoil anything in case you haven't seen the films. So make sure you do watch them. We hope we inspired you to watch these movies. So please let us know what you think by shooting us a tweet at Alicia Malone, <laughs> at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance, Kira Kurosawa, Kira Kurosawa, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. Is that Movie your Mance. supplemental? Yes. Kurosawa, okay, just counting in Kurosawa's. Well, let's recap our Fast Five so people know exactly which films they could start off their yes. Kurosawa education number with. Number five, Yojimbo, Yojimbo number four, Ikiru, Ikiru number two, three, Ran, Ran number two, Rashomon, Rashomon number one, Seven, seven Samurai. Samurai. I close my book. I'm closing mine too. Hey. Yes, I got a book, no more, no cards for me. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Profiles. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and make sure you go to our Facebook page, Profiles with Malone and Mance. who we do next. Who we're doing next. And make sure you like our Facebook page. Until next time, bye! bye. <laughs> From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.